One thing about Miami, it gives you a, it gives you a solid, excellent education while never, ever letting you think that you're the smartest person in the room. That's just not Ohio. Good day, everybody. David Schwab here. Welcome back to Beyond High Street. Today's guest really doesn't need an introduction, though. I'm going to give him one. P.J. O'Rourke, 19-time author, multi-time New York Times bestseller, has a new book out on stands now called None of My Business, explaining money, banking, debt, equity, assets, liabilities, and why he's not rich and neither are you. It's a great book. He is funny and an unbelievable writer. Check out that book on Amazon. Our conversation stretches many topics. We talk about when he was at Miami decades ago and a professor that really took a liking to him, David Frazier. Unfortunately, David has recently passed, but how David gave him a D on a midterm that shocked him uh, and put him in the right direction, ultimately turning into straight A's, scholarships, and sending him into a path of great success. He gives a shout out to Mac and Joe's where he spent his time and it's still thriving on campus and how Miami gave him the opportunity to learn and think and figure things out. Many people on past pods have said the same thing. All Miamians will love and love his story about Dr. Shriver. It's, uh, it's touching and exactly how everyone thinks of Dr. Shriver when you hear it. There's a really interesting piece about, and it comes out of his new book, and it's how he uses a Venn diagram to help his kids and others in the workplace. Putting those circles out of what you love to do, what you're good at doing, and what people will pay you for, and trying to find the intersection of that to set you up for success and what you're going to do in the future. We begin our conversation with the simple question of, what gives you inspiration to write? What gives me uh, uh, inspiration for writing is an empty checkbook. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a business like any other. And so the book that you've just put out this past month, None of My Business, explaining money, banking, debt, equity, assets, liabilities, and why you or he's not rich and neither are you, when was the inspiration for that one besides the empty checkbook? Was it years ago or just all of a sudden you get an idea and you start writing? Excuse me. Um, No, uh, I have been working for the past few years. I have been writing for a... um, uh, uh, involved with a, an investment advisory company uh, called Stansbury Research. Uh, they're out of of, of, um, of Baltimore, Maryland, and what they do is they publish um, all sorts of newsletters. They publish a wide ra- wide range of newsletters that are aimed at pretty much everybody. I mean, uh, there, there's there's you know, everything from people who are, you know, managing their retirement funds, people who are retired, um, people who are interested in, in stocks, people who are interested in, in, in um, uh, more complex financial investments, um, people who are interested in precious metals. They've got a whole range of newsletters. And uh, they brought me on basically because I, I think they felt they needed somebody who didn't know anything about business. <laughs> Um, <laughs> to connect with, you know, some of their customers who may not know much either or something, you know. Really, I suppose, just to lighten up the atmosphere, you know, these newsletters get pretty serious. And uh, they wanted a little spark of humor, I guess. And I've had like a, jeez, uh, 
20 uh, uh, some year interest in economics uh, that, that came out of first out of being a political reporter, then being a foreign correspondent and covering wars and riots and crises and so on. And I began to realize in the midst of this that um, that there were always economic foundations, uh, economic aspects, um, economic causes to any kind of political or geopolitical crisis that you might run into. And I, I was an English major. Uh, I, I, I didn't go to Miami's business. Miami had an excellent business school, and I ignored it. Uh, I never took any business course. I never took Econ 101. So I set out to sort of to, 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 to educate myself. And here I can give uh, props to Miami because Miami gave me the kind of liberal arts education that allows you to go educate yourself on a subject that you don't know. And so I read a lot of economics. I studied economics. I wrote a book about why come some countries are very rich and some countries are very poor, even though the poorest countries like Tanzania may have enormous resources and some of the richest places like Hong Kong have no resources whatsoever. Uh, I wrote a book about Adam Smith. I actually read, again, props to Miami. They gave me the liberal arts training to read everything Adam Smith wrote, not just The Wealth of Nations, but Theory of Moral Sentiments and all of his essays and his correspondence. And so I wrote a book about that. And, um, and that's how I got involved with uh, with the investment advisory company. And then um, we set up a, an independent magazine um, about economics and finance and sort of the political effects um, um, that, that those things have the effects those things have on politics and the, and the, and the effect that politics have on those things called um, American Consequences, which I'm the editor-in-chief, and um, it's free online web mag. Uh, and anyway, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've been preparing for this subject for some time. So, all right. Yeah, and so, you know, when it comes to this book, <laughs> yeah. this book was really uh, – was uh, and many of my books are collections of columns um, that I've written before, and then I'll go back to those columns and sort of weave them. You know, the, the columns will be on a particular theme, and I'll edit and modify and rewrite and, and and put some new stuff in and weave it together into a book. So, the idea for a book about all this stuff was sort of inherent in in my writing about it. And, and I'm, I'm not going to date you like I don't do myself, but I imagine when you wrote your first book, you were not using a PC um, or an iPad or a phone. How, how, how has technology changed how you write or, or when and where you write? Well, uh, yeah, I, I started out writing on a, uh, on a portable manual typewriter. In fact, um, uh, when, I, when I went to uh, Miami as a freshman, um, you know, if I'd known I was going to be a writer, the one thing I would have done in high school is take typing classes. I don't know if I would have <laughs> otherwise <laughs> studied any harder or anything. But I would have taken, and to this day, I type with four fingers, three, four, <laughs> occasionally five. And um, so when I went to Miami, it was still customary to turn in your papers in longhand. And um, I had kind of a shock the other day when my, my children who are, let's see what they're like, 20 and 18 and 15, they not only can't write longhand, they can't read longhand. <laughs> yep. 
when I write them a note in longhand, um, they puzzle over it. Anyway, I was still turning my papers in in, uh, in in longhand, or if it were a longer paper, I would get my girlfriend to type it. <laughs> she could type, <laughs> and, uh, and and it took me a while to 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 convert from longhand to a typewriter, and then it took me a long time to to go to a computer because once you get used to a big fancy IBM Selectric, the uh, a computer's keyboard feels weeny, <laughs> wimpy. And it takes a long time to, to, to convert. But I got to say, now, especially when I'm writing about stuff where I need facts and figures, like, you know, what's the cost of platinum this morning? You know, what's Bitcoin at today? Uh, the computer makes that stuff so much easier. You yeah. Know? yeah. So, so and, I'm a full convert now. But and, and it was a so, long time coming. Yeah. And so when you write and, and your inspirations and you start getting into it, is that at your home in an office? Do you go to. You know, hideaway places that often you hear about writers trying to go to to think no, and clear no. their mind, or what's you just no. go downstairs. I do get have some an office. And, okay, I, I do have an office. I, I uh, like as 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 you pointed out, I live way the heck out in the country, and we've got a. Uh, I used to work at home, but then once kids come along. Once they get old, I had a nice little office up on the third floor, but once the kids learn to climb the stairs, it's, Daddy, there's a spider in my bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) That was my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, there's a spider in the bathtub. Anyway, you realize you got to get out of the house, and so we have a guest house, and I have an office in the guest house. And I treat my job like a job. I get up in the morning, have breakfast, um, come to work. Um, you know, it's a, um, 300 foot commute and, uh, go home for lunch, come back to the office, um, knock off, you know, at cocktail hour. Perfect. Yeah. Especially the 300 foot commute part. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I must say. (laughs) You mentioned, uh, giving props to Miami and the liberal arts. And I've heard a a number of people when we do this pod say, Miami gave me the opportunity uh, and the ability to go think, and then it was kind of on me or that person to then go do. Uh, it seems to be a, a common trait from everybody. If you go back to you were a Toledo kid growing up and then just heading south for school, did you look at other places? Was Miami the one? And you talked about being an English major. What do, what do you remember about Oxford, Ohio, coming in as a freshman? Well, okay, there's a bunch of questions there, actually. Um, well, like, you know, uh, uh, my family was not well off. I was pretty much restricted to a, a, to a uh, Ohio State school, <laughs> just, you know, in, in, in terms of uh, paying the tuition. And uh, it was a near-run thing uh, with Miami, even though Miami was an amazing bargain back in my day. Um, it cost me in the 60s. It cost me about $2,000 a year all in. Uh, that's everything from tuition to, to room and board to cigarettes and beer. <laughs> it cost me $2,000 a year. To, to I could almost, not quite, but I could almost make enough over the summer to pay for the next year. Wow. Anyway, uh, so I applied, uh, of course, to the University of Toledo. Um, uh, and, um, you know, that was my, um, um, and because basically if you graduated from the, in those days, 
I know Toledo has become a, a much you know, more, it's become a much better school than it was then. But in those days, if you graduated, if you managed to graduate from the, from the Toledo public school system, if you had a high school diploma, they kind of had to let you in. <laughs> We, it's on Bancroft Street in Toledo, and we used to call it Bancroft High. You know? So I applied there, and I applied to Ohio State, and I applied to my, Miami was my reach school. Uh, my grades weren't really quite up to it, but I managed to squeak in late admission. I'd never seen the place. I never, I never saw the place until I had been admitted, and it was summer orientation. The first time I saw it was like in July or August of 1965. And, um, you know, it looked great. I thought, ooh, this is, this is nice. This is pretty. You know, it's got, a cute, it's got this cute little town. It's got this beautiful campus. Bingo. You know, I win. But I would have gone no matter what it looked like. <laughs> so, and then I really I only had enough money um, for one year. And, uh, uh, and then I was going to have to go back to Toledo. Uh, and, and, you know, probably work part-time or something. And um, David Frazier, um, uh, deceased now, who was the, uh, uh, my English professor, um, David took, took a, a shine to me, and um, he was a really great guy. And, and his wife, Sue Frazier, who still lives in Oxford, who's retired now, she worked in the student aid department. And David managed to cobble together a little package of small scholarships, a little bit of academic, because I'd done fairly well my freshman year, uh, a little bit of something because my dad was, a, was a, a dead veteran, a little something, and, and, and he'd been a Shriner, a little something from the, uh, from the Freemasons, and he managed to put together a package that let me just squeak by um, uh, paying for school, and there you have it. That's great. When was the last time you talked to Sue Frazier? Oh, um, we talk usually every year. We Great. exchange letters around Christmas time. And, and so it probably would have been last Christmas. That's great. That's another trait I hear in as a common conversation piece. Everyone always can recall that one professor that, for you, maybe it's a, a little bit of money to help, and others it's opening the door to internship or an idea of inspiration to help them along. And it's incredible. Still to this day, everyone has that one that they remember and means a lot. To oh, them. totally. You know, and I, I had a lot more than one. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, uh, um, but, but David Frazier was really the key. He was the guy that said, look, you can do this. Because actually what happened is I, my, my first semester at Miami, I was like a lot of fresh, incoming freshmen. I was sort of overwhelmed, and I kind of a C-plus average and so on. And um, uh, what David did for me, and I, I took an English course from him in my second semester, and what he did for me was he, he gave me a D on my midterm. And it was the biggest favor anybody's ever done to me because uh, I thought, oh, man, I might be a C student, but I'm not a D student. And David said, I'm giving you a D here because this is so much below what you could possibly do. And not only that, it's misspelled. Because <laughs> this is before spell check. And, uh, boy, it just, it, it really, um, it shocked me. I mean, I'd always been one of those kids who, you know, in high school and grade school, they said, oh, you know, you got a lot of potential. You know, you're, you could be doing much better than you are. Uh, and then in the middle of my freshman year, all of a sudden I was being regarded by my counselor, um, whoever my advisor was, whoever's name I've long forgotten. He said, well, I guess you're doing okay. It's about, you know, about what we'd expect from you. 
Coming from Plato. That'll fire you up. <laughs> I thought, wait a minute. You know? uh, I'm an underachiever, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and all of a sudden I became a, um, uh, a better achiever. And, um, and I ended up getting straight A's that second semester. And that's, you know, probably what got me the little scholarships. And I can do well. Then, of course, I had to, I had to keep a B average to keep my scholarships. So um, I became a pretty good student. And, and also when, pretty good at finding classes I could get these in. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, but a pretty good student nonetheless. Th- there's a skill to that. Uh, when, yeah. did you, when did you write your first book? How, how soon after leaving Miami? Oh, no, it was a long time. Yeah. Um, uh, I thought I was going to be a novelist and a poet or something like that, and I fiddled around with that for a long time. Meanwhile, um, I, I got an actual job at the National Lampoon and stayed there for a long time, eventually became editor-in-chief. And it wasn't until uh, uh, after I left that job and I was, you know, again, sort of floating around being a freelance journalist, working on some movie stuff and not quite knowing what to do with myself that uh, um, a friend of mine said, uh, oh, you know, you did these, you did some very funny articles about etiquette, about modern etiquette, modern manners. You should collect those into a book or, you know, write a book based on that. That was like 1983, so it was a long time after I got out of Miami. <laughs> but it took me a long time to figure out that what I was 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 a journalist. That I wasn't a, uh, I wasn't really a literary guy. I wasn't a novelist or a poet. I was a reporter. And, and what what do you think it was that uh, that got you to that finding of what you were? Just the jobs you had, or or the interests that you like? And I'm going to refer back to your, your book that you just come out with because I actually circled one of the early pages in the foreword where you've got three circles and one it's what he loved to do what he was good at doing and what people would pay him for and kind of the middle this is uh, my advice to my kids okay. actually it would be my advice to all kids in fact to some adults too is that if you're looking to you know um to, if, if, if you're looking to have a good professional life, in, in, in however you define good, you know, looking to get some success, make some money, or just be really satisfied with your life, you got to draw Venn diagrams. Um, something else I learned about in my good liberal arts education in Miami. I draw three Venn diagrams. Uh, draw a circle that, inc- that includes what you love. What do you love? And then uh, draw a circle, what are you good at? And then draw a circle, what will people pay you for? And look for some place where those Venn diagrams overlap. It may be tiny, it may be huge, but look for the place where they overlap and go there. Mm -hmm. And is that something you, uh, after you figured it out, you went back and determined those were the three areas and then, oh, that's why I ended up as the editor of National Land. Yeah, I yeah. stumbled into that. I, 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 I didn't realize that. Um, but looking back on things, um, I realized that, um, you know, for me it was like, what do, what do I love to do is be a wise ass, you know. <laughs> what, am, what, am I, what am I good at doing, making fun of people? What will people pay me for making fun of other people? <laughs> That's good. No, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, yeah. It makes a lot yeah. of sense. All right, so yeah. you, you got a lot of books. You got a new book. You're enjoying time in rural New England. You and your family are celebrating a Red Sox New World Series championship. What's, what's All ne- that. What's next? Gee, what's next? Uh, writing some more stuff. You know, 
Um, really don't know for sure what's next. It's, uh, um, I'm, 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 I'm kind of, yeah, I'm in that period when, when you've just finished a book and you're been out promoting it and, uh, um, <coughs> that your mind is so full of, um, of, uh, what you just did. Um, which if uh, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm not alone in this, that what you just did is something you're really sick of, you know? <laughs> And, you know, so you're dealing with something that you're really sick of, and you say, ah, it's sort of larval about what will, what will happen next. But, you know, after Christmas when I'm done promoting this book and um, it sells or it doesn't sell, I'll start thinking about it then. I, I like, in finishing this, I, I like one line you have in your bio, and I think it's part of the inspiration of me doing this pod because I feel like the success of – Miamians and Miami alumni, there's always, a, there's always a little bit of a chip on the shoulder going to a place that you had to say it was a school before Florida was a state and those types of lines that everyone paid $10 for the t-shirt for. You've got the one line you addressed in your own bio that says, I went to Miami University, the one in Ohio, not the one where you can major in water skiing. So it's still, you still think about it, too. <laughs> you know, I never had a chip on my shoulder about Miami. At the National Lampoon, National Lampoon was founded by guys who went to Harvard. A mm. bunch of guys who went to Harvard. Really smart guys who went to Harvard. I never once detected that they had a better education at Harvard than I got at Miami. As a matter of fact, they... they you know, they all went to Harvard when it was still all guys. They carried their books funny and didn't know any girls. <laughs> <laughs> and they couldn't hold their liquor. I mean, I had uh, the Purity uh, and uh, the College Inn and Mac and Joe's under my belt. You know, And, uh, no, in fact, I felt that while they were very smart, um, I also felt they were very innocent. And um, one thing about Miami, it gives you a, it gives you a solid, excellent education while never, ever letting you think that you're the smartest person in the room. That's just not Ohio. You know, you, you, you may be an absolutely brilliant student, you may be a brilliant person, but you're still high on the ends and round in the middle. You know? Thank you, PJ. Thank you for taking the time. What a conversation. We go from camel cigarettes to beer to Mac and Joe's to Dr. Shriver and David Frazier on campus. But among anything, I love how he thinks he's funny as heck. And that Venn diagram story is something that I wrote down and will think about and also share with my kids too. I think we can all learn from that. Thank you guys for taking time. Get out there and buy his book on Amazon, None of My Business. Uh, It's a good read. It's a must read, actually. Go have a good day. See you at all at Skippers.